Well, today I want to begin a new series, and it's out of the book of Jonah. And uh, so today I'm going to start a, just a, over the next few weeks, we're going to begin a series out of Jonah entitled Jonah, of course. And uh, the subtitle of it is Get Up and Go. Everybody say, Get Up and Go. So we're going to be talking about Jonah. Now, now we've all heard about Jonah and the whale, I'm sure. Most of us have heard about Jonah and the whale. But the book of Jonah is not about a whale. That, that is comprised of three verses. Uh, the book of Jonah is not about the wicked city of Nineveh. The book of Jonah is not really even about Jonah. The book of Jonah is about God, who is just, loving, compassionate, and merciful, and is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's really what the book of Jonah is about. Twice in the book of Jonah, two different times, the Lord <clears throat> told the prophet, <clears throat> excuse me, the Lord told the prophet to arise, go to Nineveh. And that's where we get the idea of get up and go. I think the New Living Translation, that's, that's how they uh, translate that, that phrase, is get up and go. And uh, it's a story about how God works in and through willing vessels to bring redemption to broken humanity. And uh, God has, a, has an eternal plan that involves everyone. God has an eternal plan that involves everyone on planet earth. It involves those who are near to him, who have come to know him, and by faith are near to him. But it also involves people who are far away from him. And so the, what the Lord does is that God works through willing vessels who are near to Him to go to the far away people or the far off places because He wants them to encounter Him like those who know Him have. And sometimes we're into this and sometimes we're decent about it, but other times we're not into it. And sometimes, rather than running with God, going into those faraway places, to those far-off people, we are running away from what God is calling us to. And this is what the book of Jonah is all about, and it's comprised, the book of Jonah is pretty simple in its layout. The first chapter is that Jonah runs. Second chapter, Jonah prays. Third chapter, Jonah preaches. And the last chapter, Jonah complains. Sounds a lot like us. So, we're going to deal with that beginning today, and today I want to talk about running Jonah, and uh, the title of my message today is Confessions of a Runaway Prophet, or you could put in there a runaway Christian, Confessions of a Runaway Prophet. So let me pray, then we're going to get into the Word, we're going to go through the whole chapter, chapter 1, if you have your Bibles on your phone or a hard copy, it will come up on the screen. But uh, you can follow along however you see fit. Father, we thank you for your presence here today. And thank you for the power of your word. We know that your word changes lives. And I pray today that as the word is shared, as we look deep into the word, God, that you would look deep into our hearts, God. And you would deal with us, correct us, challenge us, show us the way that you want us to go through your word today, I pray. In Jesus' name, and everybody says amen. So Jonah chapter 1. Verses 1 and 2, to begin with, say these, these words. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, get up and go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up to me or before me. The city of Nineveh was a very wicked and powerful city in ancient times. We'll find out later in the book of Jonah that it had a population of 120,000 people, which in that time was massive. And uh, we know through uh, history that the walls of Nineveh towered 100 feet high. They were wide enough that uh, historians say that three chariots could run side by side on top of the 100, high, 100 foot high walls of the city of Nineveh. These were uh, an especially kind of pagan and wicked uh, people. They were, uh, they were not nice people. They were known for their heartless treatment of anyone who was not them. 
Uh, history again records, and there are museums based around the study of Nineveh in ancient, in ancient times, and history recounts uh, and shows that in their military campaigns, they were very evil people. When they would sweep into a city or into another nation and they would kill the soldiers, they tell us that they would cut off their heads and they would build them into pyramids. And uh, then also they would take the commanders or any of the royalty of that city and they would march them out into the city streets. They would skin them alive and hang their skins on the walls of the city uh, to uh, bring shame upon them. Or they, would also, they were also known for burying people up to their neck alive and let them die a slow death. This was the city that God said to Jonah, I want you to go preach to them and tell them I'm not happy with things. And Jonah thought, mm, I don't think so. And I want to just say something though right off here. that We find out later in the book why Jonah didn't want to do it. And it wasn't because he was afraid of what they might do to him if he went to Nineveh. It was that he was afraid of what God might do for them if they heard the word and repented. And he didn't want none of that. And so he ran. He ran so far away. Yes, he ran. He ran both night and day just to get away. Come on. That song was written for Jonah. Jonah was filled with such animosity and such prejudice against these people. He didn't want them to have a chance at salvation. He wanted them to experience God's justice, not that they would be justified by faith. And so, he ran away. You know, we too have been given a Nineveh-like calling and a message God has put within our hearts. Jesus said to the church and to every one of us, go into all the world. He might as well have said, go into Nineveh. Go, get up and go into your world. And he didn't want us to he didn't want us to not realize that the world that we're going into, he said, is going to be filled with tribulation. There's a possibility that you're going to be persecuted. Some of you, he even taught, will die for the faith. In other words, he didn't try to sugarcoat it. He said, it's, <clears throat> he said, it's not going to be easy, but it's your job. It's not only what I did in you and for you, but I want to work through you. I need people who are willing to get up from their place and not make life all about them, and realize that they've been saved for such a time as this, and get up and go. You may not like it, but it's your job. Amen. Amen. Turn to somebody and tell them, you got another job. I don't know if you know that. But like Jonah, rather than running with God, some of us, are running in the opposite direction. Jonah is called the reluctant prophet, and some of us are reluctant to go where God sends us. But I just want to say to us today that running has its consequences. And what I want to do in this first chapter as we read through it together, I want us to look at the consequences of running, and we're going to learn some lessons from Jonah. We're going to we're going to let him teach us because he wrote this book after these events took place. And he's saying something in the words of this book to every one of us. And the first thing I think Jonah tells us, number one, is that you can run from God, but you can't hide from God. You can run, but you can't. And this is the overarching principle or thought of the book of Jonah. Really, you can run. You have that choice to run, but you'll never outrun God. He is on your tail. He's riding you. Amen. How many are glad that God rode your tail? Amen. So you can run from God. So remember what the first two verses said. It said, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, arise, go to Nineveh, cry out 
against that wicked city that their wickedness has come up to me. Verse 3 says, But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. God said to go to Nineveh. Jonah said, I'm going to Tarshish. God said, go this way. He said, I'm going that way. And notice what it says here. He ran to flee from the presence of the Lord. You can't outrun God's presence. You can't outrun God's will. He, now this is a prophet. He knows that God is the God of the heavens, the Lord of the seas and the mountains and the lands. He already knows who God is. What he's saying is, I don't want anything to do with what God wants me to do. That's what he's saying. I want to run from the presence of God. And so Jonah's going to discover, and he's running... That God, it's, a, it's an impossibility to run away from God. And we can't avoid God's commissioning on our life, but we can tr- and, and we can't escape His presence. Here's what David said in Psalms 139, verses 7 through 10. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. Watch. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea. Even there your hand is going to lead me. I make my decisions, but you are still directing my steps. You can't outrun God. Come on now. Even there your hand will lead me and your right hand shall hold me. But like Jonah... Some of us are running from the word of the Lord. The Bible said that God, the word of the Lord came to Jonah saying, and when he heard the word of the Lord, he didn't like what he heard God say to him, and he went in the opposite direction. Because he didn't like the word of the Lord. The word that God was speaking into his life. How many of you really love it when God speaks a timely word and it brings comfort to your heart? How many of you love the word of the Lord then? How many of you like it when God talks and it comforts your soul and it comforts you and it, it just brings a tear to your eye? But how many of you know that God also speaks challenging words? And he also speaks correcting words. And he also speaks words to change you. And sometimes we receive the comforting words of God, but we run from the challenging words of God. Amen. Don't shout me down now. You guys have been doing really good up to this moment. Amen. What word of God are you running from right now? What has God told you to do? What is God challenging you in? Where is God calling you? You like it when God speaks those nice, soft words that warm the spirit, but the words that kind of shake you up a little bit and want to call you out to do things that you don't really want to do. Where are you at with that? Listen, I want to remind you what James said. James tells us that we are to be doers of the Word of God, not hearers only, because when you only hear the Word but you don't do it, you're living in deception. Amen. So some of us are running from the Word of God, but I just want to remind you, you can run from the Word, but you can't hide from it. Amen. It's on your tail. And the other thing that he's running from is not only the Word of God, but the will of God, or the work of God, rather. He heard what God told him to say, and he heard where God wanted him to go, to Nineveh, but he thought, no. I'm going to Tarshish. And he was essentially running away from the work of God, from the will of God in his life. He wasn't denying the existence of God. He was deserting the will of God. He just, he wasn't trying to run away from God and deny God and, and say, I don't want anything to do with God. He just didn't want anything to do with what God wanted him to do. Amen. Are we having fun yet? 
The Lord gave Jonah an assignment that in his mind was just too hard to fulfill. He couldn't wrap his brain around it. He didn't want to do it. He didn't want anything to do with it. He didn't want anything to do with those godless people. You know, sometimes we're called to things, we're called to people, we're called to places that are difficult. You might think to yourself, why am I in Butte? I did not want this calling. We'll say things to God like, I'll do anything but that. Amen. And rather than surrender to God's will, we go in the opposite direction. And anything other than doing His will is in the opposite direction. You might be going to church, but if you're not doing what He wants you to do, you're in the opposite direction. You haven't denied the reality of God. You haven't denied Him as your Lord and Savior. But if you're not doing His will, you're going to Tarshish. You're not going to Nineveh. It's that plain and simple. If God has laid it upon your heart to witness to this person, to love this person, to befriend this person, to take that job, to move to this city, to be in this ministry, to take up this mantle, and you're not doing it, you're going in the opposite direction. It's that plain and simple. Amen. Don't you feel really encouraged here today? Listen, some things that God calls us to, can we be honest? It's hard. It's not easy. It can be very difficult. But Jesus understands this himself. In one, in one breath, in John chapter 4, Jesus says, My meat, my food, is to do, to do the will of him who sent me to finish, to fulfill the ministry that the Father has given to me. He says that in one breath. This is what sustains me. This is what gives me strength. This is what keeps me going. And then in another breath, he's saying, not this cup. I don't want to drink this cup. If, it's a, if there's any way I don't have to do this, let it, let it pass me by. But not my will, but your will be done. <laughs> Amen. There's a love-hate relationship with the will of God. Sometimes it's fulfilling and wonderful, but sometimes it's painful, hard, and difficult. But when God calls you to it, that's your job. Amen. Don't run from it. You can run, but you can't hide. Praise God. So the first thing that Jonah tells us is you can run, but you cannot hide. The second thing Jonah tells us in this chapter is disobedience is a downward spiral. I want you to notice verse 3. It says that Jonah arose to flee from the presence of the Lord. Then he went down. Everybody say down. Down to Joppa. And he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now look at verse 5. Verse 5 says, but Jonah had gone, when he, he found the ship, he boarded the ship, it says he went down into the lower parts of the ship, and when he had lain down, he was fast asleep. Do you see the downward spiral this guy is on? The trajectory of his life is going down. When you disobey God, you're going down. Amen. That's where you're going. You're not going up. Paul said, I forget those things that are behind me and I press toward the upward call of God. And you can only go up if you obey. But if you walk in disobedience to God, you're not going up, you're going down. Amen. And we, uh, disobedience takes us down directionally in our life. Remember, he went down to Joppa. If you go back to verse 3, carry for me. I want him to see this. It said that he went down to Joppa. And watch. Look at the next phrase. In fact, read it with me. And found, read it, and found a ship going to Tarshish. You know what? He made a decision that he wasn't going to do what God wanted to do. So he went in his own direction. And lo and behold, there's a ship going in the direction that I'm going. This must be God. See, I knew that it wasn't really, I'm not really supposed to go to Nineveh. Look here, I'm going to Tarshish and there's a ship. Be careful. Let me show you this phrase here. 
There will always be a ship going in the wrong direction. Be careful. I've been praying about my relationship, but I think I don't, I don't have to put up with this anymore. And then you go out and you meet somebody who th- you think is the right one, and what you see is a ship going in the wrong direction. You better watch yourself. You better be careful. Because when you start stepping outside of the will of God for your life, there's always going to be what looks like a God thing. And it's not a God thing. Now, it doesn't mean that God won't be out there because he rides your tail. Amen. But you mess your life up. You'll hurt yourself in the, in the short term at least and maybe in the long term if you don't come to the realization that this ship wasn't from God. Be careful of where you're going because when you're going down, you go down in your direction. And some of us are going in the wrong direction. This is why we need the gift of discernment. The Bible says we need the discernment of spirits. Why? Because I need to understand. Remember what he said, the discernments of spirits. I need to know if this is the Holy Spirit, if this is my spirit, or if this is a demonic spirit. Amen. So, he went down directionally, but it also takes us down emotionally. Now, when he went down into the ship, in verse 5, it says that he went down into the lowest parts of the ship and he had lain down and and fell fast asleep. And this is while there is a storm raging outside. Why is this guy able to sleep in the middle of the storm? Because I think emotionally he is distraught, he's depressed, because that's what life becomes when you're running from God. Now, I just want to say this. Nineveh was only 550 miles from where Jonah was. Tarshish was 2,500 miles. Okay? So get this. He would rather be 2,500 miles away out of the will of God than to be 550 miles away in the will of God. Being out of the will of God takes you further, takes longer, requires more effort, and will exhaust you more than being in the will of God. Some of us live these self-protective preservation lives where we protect ourselves from being in the will of God. Well, I I have to have time for myself, and I have to have energy for me, and we're always kind of setting up these boundaries around us because we got to protect ourselves when we're really out of the will of God. And then we still get wore out and fried and frazzled. And it's not because we're doing God's will or, or if we're going to get too busy doing God's will. It's because we're not doing God's will. Because when you're doing God's will and you where God wants you to be, He gives you the power and the strength to do it. But when you're walking outside of it, the resource is not available. Amen. Amen. So I think when he went down into the ship and he was fast asleep, this shows that he was down emotionally and physically. And some of us are physically drained and emotionally depressed because we are not where God wants us to be. Come on, can I get one amen out there? I got a cough and a hmm. Amen. Let's get an amen. Nothing against the coffee. That's fine. Clear your throat. But it took him down spiritually too. Jonah went down and he was fast asleep. And this idea of physical sleep is a picture of spiritual sleep. He's spiritually sleeping on God. This prophet of God was in spiritual la-la land. Paul warns us as Christians in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 5 and 6. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. And the very fact that the apostle is writing to Christians and he said, look, stay awake. 
implies that it's possible that you can go to sleep on God, that you can go to sleep on the plan of God and the will of God for your life. Stay awake. Wake up. And I got to thinking about this idea of sleep. Get ready for an acronym. And I thought of the word sleep, S-L-E-E-P. And I thought, here are some indicators, some indicators of why we spiritually sleep. Number one, we get stuck in a rut. Where we go through the routine of life, and routine in and of itself is not bad. When I go through the routine, it can easily devolve into rote mechanicalism, where I'm just kind of going through the motion. And when I'm in that rote mechanicalism long enough, I begin to wedge in a rut in my life where it's devoid of the vitality and the life. And I begin to spiritually go to sleep because I'm in a rut. And here's how one person described a rut. It's a grave with the ends knocked out of it. It's a dead place. It's not a living place. It's not an alive place. And so spiritual sleep is when you're stuck in a rut. Also spiritual sleep is when you have a lack of love. That's L. It's a lack of love. Jesus said to the church at um, Ephesus, he said, here's one thing that I have against you. You have a lot of great things going for you, but here's the one thing that is a problem between us is that you've lost your first love. And you don't have the love that you once had for me. And consequently, you don't have the love for the people around you that you used to have. And you don't have the love for ministry. And you don't have the love for being a part of what God is doing in the earth. You've lost, you, you've lost that love and feeling. <laughs> Amen. I'm sorry. I can't help it. Wasn't it the righteous brothers? That makes it holy. I don't know who it was. So we get stuck in a rut. A lack of love. E, we become entangled with the cares of this life. When you get so wrapped up in the cares and all the responsibilities of life and family needs and all of these things are important. I'm not saying that these things aren't important. It's when we become entangled in them. They become a care that ties us down and keeps us from going where God says go, being who God says be, doing what God says do. And we allow these things to take precedence in our life and we forget about what Jesus said. Seek my kingdom first. And all these other things that are so important, and they are important, He'll add them in where they need to fit. Get your life in order. Keep me first. Amen? The other E is we become emptied of power. How many of you know that Christians can't make it without the power of God? This is why the Apostle Paul said, keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. Just keep on being filled because you can't do this in your own power. You have to care. I, it's amazing to me that I will be going through the motions of my life and ministry and showing up to work and coming to church and doing life and mowing the yard and doing all these things and I'm, and I'm getting frustrated because I'm feeling so powerless and, it come, and then I, after a few days or maybe even a few weeks it, it occurs to me that what I'm really lacking is a full power of God in my life and I have to return to the Lord and I know He's with me. I know He hasn't forsaken me. I know God hasn't rejected me and it's not like the Holy Spirit is not there. He is. But I need to be filled to overflowing at all times. And we can get emptied of power. I remember that story where Jesus was walking along. This, this came to me a few year, uh, this many years ago, but, and I preached a sermon on it, where Jesus was walking along, and a woman who really needed a touch from God said, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, she said, I know I will be made whole. And we know the story. She reached out. Jesus is being pressed upon by a throng of people, right? Everybody's wanting to touch Jesus. Everybody's wanting to be near Jesus. This one woman who in faith said, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I know that I'll be made whole. And she pressed through the crowd. She touched the hem of his garment. And the Bible said power flowed out of Jesus to her and she was healed immediately. Isn't that great? Jesus stopped. And he said, who touched me? 
And the disciples were like, everybody. That's who. And Jesus said, no. I felt power go out. And when I read that one day, the Lord said to me, that's where you're at. Power has gone out of you. Power has gone out of you. And, and I know that what that meant for Jesus in that moment. He didn't lose his power, his touch with God. But in our humanity, power goes out of us. And we need a refresher. We need a refilling. Amen. And uh, I'm sorry, I'm just taking too long on sleep. So, what is, what is spiritual sleep? It's being stuck in a rut. It's a lack of love. It's being entangled with cares. It's being emptied of power. The P is prayerlessness. When you're asleep, when you're in the place of sleep, there's probably little to no prayer life going on. And prayer is our divine link to God. I can't survive. I've got to plug in every day. I need to plug in every day. And really, all day. Amen. My iPhone is one of those old ones. I, I know I got a really terrible iPhone. It's got a button on it. Everybody asks me, what kind of iPhone you have? Well, it, is it one with a button? I'm like, now I'm that far behind. doesn't matter where I'm at in my life, my iPhone is way always behind. And... Uh, but it's at that stage right now where it needs to be constantly plugged in. It drives me up the wall. But you know what? You always need to be plugged in. Amen. And you got a button too. So, Okay, let's move on. This, this, this point about being spiritually asleep brings us then to the next thing that, that Jonah tells us. You can run from God, but you can't hide. Your disobedience takes you down. Number three, God will probably send a storm to wake you up. Let's look at verses 4 and 5. But the Lord, he's down in the ship, right? But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea. Who sent out the great wind? Okay, you got that? This is Bible study class. Who sent out the storm? The Lord did, but the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners, these seafaring people, men, were afraid. They've been in storms before. They are afraid. And every man cried out to his God and threw the cargo of that ship into the sea. Now, cargo is precious. That's the reason why they're traveling is because of cargo. They're in trade. But now they're throwing out their money. They were so afraid, this storm was so fierce that they threw out their cargo into the sea to lighten the load. (laughs) But Jonah, everybody say, but Jonah. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship. He's laid down and he's asleep. They're fearing for their life. He's in spiritual slumber. Their life is falling apart and he's not got a care in the world. And it's not because he has the peace of God, but it's because he's trying to run from the presence of God. And it's destroying him. Now I just want to say something. This is really important. Sometimes God will send a storm into your life to wake you up. That word where it says the Lord sent, literally the Hebrew word means to hurl. God hurled a storm into the sea. Here, take that. You're going to run from me? And he hurled a storm in their direction. And sometimes God will do that. But let me tell you, God is not trying to sink you. He's trying to stir you. Amen. He's trying to wake us up. Now, there are demonic storms that we will encounter in our life. And I do believe that Satan will send storms into our life to destroy us. But God, when he sends a storm, it's to correct us. It's to get us back in line with what he's doing. And so, let's stop blaming the devil for every storm we're in. 
Just a side note. Sometimes God allows these things to come to shake us awake. And didn't the Lord say in the New Testament that judgment begins at the house of God? That sometimes we need a shake-up to get back to where He wants us to be. Amen. So why does the Lord send a storm? To wake us up from our spiritual indifference. Remember we read where the captain came down. He said, he said in verse 6, actually it's right here. Let's look at it. It says, so the captain came down to Jonah and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. They've been all praying to their gods, their false gods, and it hasn't worked. And so he finds Jonah in the hole of the ship, in the hold of the ship, and he's just sleeping, and he stirs him, he wakes him up. What are you doing sleeping? Don't you have a God? Call on your God. Sometimes, sometimes people in the world have to shake us up to the reality of who we are and challenge us. Aren't you a Christian? Don't you believe things? Don't you believe God works? And we have people, godless people, trying to shake us awake. Amen. Telling us how we should be. And we're just, get off me. They were calling out to their gods. But their gods weren't working. And so they had to, he stirred up Jonah. See what God is doing? He's stirring him up from his complacency. And his indifference and his spiritual apathy. But he's not only trying to wake him up from a spiritual, being spiritually indifferent. But he's also trying to wake him up to his true identity. Now, this is the bulk of the reading I want to read to you here. But listen, let's look at this together. In verse 7 and following, it says, And then they said to one another, Come, let's cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. Uh-oh. Okay, here we go. We're going to cast lots. Whose fault is this? So they cast lots, and the lot fell to, lo and behold, Jonah. You can run, but you can't hide. The lot fell to Jonah. And so they said to him, Look, listen to what they say. Please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? Let me just tell you something. Your decisions don't only affect you. Your disobedience to God doesn't only affect you. It's affecting everybody else around you. It's not just hurting you. They said, tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? And then, look, watch. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? And what is your country? And what people are you? Watch, listen to Jonah. He says, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord. Kind of. I kind of used to fear God. Not right now. It's not showing up. He said, I fear the Lord. The God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. He doesn't see God as this regional God over his country, over only his people. He knows he's the God of the sea and the land. That's why he's running. And he said, so, uh, verse 10, then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, why have you done this? For the men knew that he had fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them, I'm running from God. I didn't like what he told me. I didn't want to do what he wanted me to do. So he told them. And so then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this is because of me. I don't know if at this moment Jonah's admitting that he's guilty or if he just doesn't want to go to Nineveh that badly. It's like, just kill me now. I don't want to be the cause of your death. I'm guilty, and I don't want to go there. Just throw me into the sea. Sometimes, in all seriousness, sometimes we feel like I'd rather die than continue in this. But look at verse 13. We continue on. Nevertheless, now this shows the kindness of these, 
Gentile people, pagan people. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to return to land, but they could not, for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they cried out to the Lord. I mean, they tried, you know, they tried. <laughs> and then they cried out to the Lord um, and said, We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life, and do not charge us with uh, innocent, with, uh, charge us with innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done what as it pleased you. So they picked Jonah up and threw him into the sea. It's like, God, don't be mad. Die. And, uh, and notice, the sea ceased from its raging. And then the men feared God. They feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord. And took vows. What was so interesting to me when I was going over this was Jonah was fleeing from God's will because he didn't want to have anything to do with this Gentile, godless, wicked nation called Nineveh. He's running from the Lord and he becomes all a part of these pagan, Gentile, Syrophoenician sailors. He's running from Gentiles and encounters more Gentiles and they're coming to the Lord. God's got a plan. Now, God wanted him in Nineveh. But you can run, but you can't hide. So God uses these men to awaken Jonah. And I love what the captain of the ship said. Who are you? Where are you from? What are you about? Forcing Jonah in the storm of his rebellion. Say, I'm a child of God. I'm a Hebrew. I'm a servant of the Most High God. God has sent me on a mission. Had to get him back around to realize, wake up. Who are you? Who are you really? Because the direction you're going isn't who you are. Why you're going in this direction isn't really what you're made of. God has a plan and it's not here, it's there. So realize who you are. You're a child of God. You're a joint heir with Jesus Christ. You've been put on mission by God. You serve the Lord. You fear God. So live it. God's trying to wake us up. This world is falling apart, Christian. And God says, I need you to get up and go. And if you're going to get up and go, you got to know who you are. you got to wake up. Amen. Amen. And then the final thing that Jonah teaches us out of this passage is number four, is when you are willing to die, then you're ready to live. So remember the captain said, so what are we supposed to do with you since you're in such rebellion against God? So that this storm doesn't destroy us. I like that question. What are we going to do with you? And he says, throw me overboard. And everything will be good with you. But there's a principle in this that I think is really important. Jonah came to the realization that he needed to surrender. He needed to die. In a sense, to die to himself. To surrender himself. Because it was in his surrender that God swallowed him up by another means. To save his life. Because God had a plan not just for Jonah, but for a people that God wanted Jonah to touch. But he had to surrender. He had to be willing to die. He had to be willing to lay his life on the line. He had to be willing to let go of what he wanted his way by his demands. No, when you're at sea and when everybody else around you is dying because of you, it's time to surrender. It's time to give it up. It's time to, and, and here's the point. That's when you find life. He's in complete surrender. Jesus teaches us this in Matthew chapter 16, verse 25. 
For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Anyone in the room today who has yet to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, so long as you live your life thinking, I'm good enough, I can do this my way, in the end, eternally, you're going to lose your life. Amen. But if you're willing to surrender your heart to the Lord Jesus, knowing that He died on the cross for you, and it was because of your sins that He went there, and He did that, when you surrender to Him and you give your heart to Him, that's when you find life. And not until then, because there isn't another way to be saved other than through faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But let me also speak to the Christian. If you're going to try to save yourself and live your life and do life by your demands and by your requirements, in the end, you're going to lose the life that God always destined for you. Trying to do it your way. At some point, you've got to stop and surrender And just say, I'm going over. Man overboard. Man overboard. Amen. I'm going over. I'm surrendering it all. And I love this. Verse 17 says, when they threw him over, it says, now the Lord had prepared. Everybody say prepared. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Wow. That's a miracle. Now, let me just go on record. Yes, I do believe the story. And one of the reasons why I believe this is a true story is that Jesus said, as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So Jesus validated the story. But what I want you to see is that God... In his submission and in his surrender and his willingness to die to himself, God swallowed him up in this great fish and he went into the belly of this well. Now I know that we don't... Can you imagine what it must have been like to be in the belly of a whale? It's over 100 degrees in there. Plus, there's where's the air? This is the miracle move of God. It's dark. It's slimy. It's stinky. But it was prepared for him by God. Come on. God prepared this dark, stinky, smelly, hot. Even tells us in chapter 2 that seaweed is wrapped around his head. And you know, he's right where God wants him to be. Some people look at where they're at right now and they're thinking, this can't be God. Oh, yes, it can. You know what it's called? Salvation. He saved you. He swept you up. He swallowed you whole to get you back where he wants you to be. But for now, you're stuck in the belly. Amen. I just want to say this. There's a statement I I want you to see here. Don't mistake God's provision as God's punishment. Sometimes when we get stuck in these places, it's because God has provided a way to get you where he wants you to be. Sometimes we think, this is God punishing me. No, this is God saving you. I remember Julie telling me that many years ago when it was like, my life is over, we're done here. And she says, God has us right where he wants us to be. And I said, Sorry, but thank you for saying that. Sorry that I put you there, but thank you for saying that. God has you right where he wants you. Amen. Julie, could you come? Speaking of Julie, come on up here. Church, it's time to get up and go. But we got to stop running. What are you running from? What is the word that God has been speaking to you about your life? about your heart, about your attitude, about your service. What's God's will for you? You're like, why doesn't everybody else have to go to Nineveh? Because it's not their job. You have to go to Nineveh. If that's what God has called you to, then that's what you're about. Who are you, by the way? 
Who are you? Where are you from? What are you made of? You're a child of God. You're a joint heir with Jesus Christ. You serve the Most High God. In fact, let me just go, you fear God. I know you fear God. I know sometimes it gets a little wobbly with our decisions, but when it's all said and done, when you peel it all away, you really are. Stop running. Let's start running with God. Stop running away from God. God has a plan. He has a plan for you. It's time to get up and go. Amen. Can we all stand together? Can I have the prayer team come on up front today? Hey, listen, if you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, today would be a good day to come up here and let these wonderful people pray with you about giving your heart to Jesus. But if you've already given your heart to the Lord and you know Him as your Lord and Savior, maybe you just need to pray about physical healing or maybe something that was mentioned here or the call of God upon your life. I don't... I don't know if you've been running from God, but if you have, run up here and have them pray with you and say, I need, I want redirection. I want out of this belly. <laughs> I want out of this slimy, dark place. And the Lord loves you and he, he's got a plan. Jonah is about a loving, compassionate, merciful God. That's what the book of Jonah is about. Not just for the Ninevites, but even for Jonah people like you and me. So Lord, we love you so much. Thank you for your presence today. God, I just pray that you would draw them into you today. Whoever you want, man or woman, young or old, Lord, that if they need you, they need a closer walk, they need to come to you, or if they have something going on in their life and they just need somebody to pray with them about that, I just pray that you would draw them here today. And I pray, God, that you would help us to get up from this place, go out into our world, and love like we've never loved, serve like we never served, touch like we've never touched. In Jesus' name. And everybody says amen. Amen. God bless you.